This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hear more from Free FM. For a small monthly fee, you can become a patron and support independent community media. Go to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out how. Terawan Saranai and welcome once more to the program. We've been talking about calm abiding, a special part of the perfection of wisdom and something we have to develop if we want to say goodbye to cyclic existence forever. Calm abiding is the ability to put your mind on an object and it will stay there for as long as you like while you experience not even a shred of discomfort. In fact, the Tibetan texts describe calm abiding in terms of bliss rather than concentration. However, it is a concentration and the mind is very focused without any vestige of dullness, excitement or distraction. You may ask why we need this sort of mind to escape our endless round of existence, searching for long-lasting happiness and never finding it. Well, the answer to that is to look at your own mind, and what do you find? If you're a very highly realized person, you may find calm abiding there already, but the majority of us will find a bit of a maelstrom. Thoughts come and go endlessly, and if we allow ourselves to get caught up in them, like we usually do, we get carried away to all sorts of places we may have no intention of going. And trying to control the stream seems impossible. Hardly have we focused on one thing, then we notice our mind is dancing off to something else. And that's why in Buddhism we call it the monkey mind. It hardly ever stops, and it certainly doesn't like doing what we tell it to. Sit, you may say, as if addressing a new puppy, and like a puppy, the mind wags its tail and disappears to sniff at something potentially new and more interesting. Now, if we try to use this kind of loopy mind to achieve anything momentous, it's virtually impossible. We can't concentrate on anything very long, so all our efforts to complete our projects well are hampered. The way to get out of cyclic existence is to see reality as it nakedly is. At the moment, we experience reality through many veils of conditioning and karma, so our view of reality is very distorted. One of my favorite quotes is Albert Einstein's Reality is an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. We live in an hallucination, and what is worse, we utterly believe in it. We really are living in a kind of matrix, though I doubt we are fodder for some kind of superior human-devouring life form. The question is, how do we get out? How do we wake up to what is really happening if we are so fixated on our dream worlds. And this is where calm abiding comes in. We have to develop a mind so sharp and so concentrated that it can pierce through the illusion like a laser slices through steel. The hallucination is otherwise much too powerful for our weak, distracted minds, even though we know intellectually that reality is not as we experience it through our limited senses, we continue to react to it as if it were. With that, we develop attitudes, opinions, likes, dislikes, afflictive emotions and karma in relation to everything around us, and so is born unhappiness and misery. When we have calm abiding, not only is it blissful, but it can be put to use to analyze reality very deeply and finally experience it as it is 
devoid of our usual fabrications and fantasies. The combination of calm abiding and the analysis called special insight is the strong arm and sharp axe that we need to cut down the giant tree with bitter painful fruit that is samsara or psychic existence. So you can see that calm abiding is utterly necessary for our liberation. Without it, we can never be free. That is why we've been talking quite extensively about it over the last few weeks, and we are set to continue with it this week. But first let's set our motivation and do a little calm abiding meditation before we start. Sit comfortably and bring to mind why you are participating in the program today. If your motivation is just for the happiness of this moment, this life, try to realize that such an intention would really give you no long-term happiness. A better motivation would be to free yourself from suffering by gaining liberation from cyclic existence. The best motivation is to gain enlightenment so that you can best help others, wherever they are, to also gain enlightenment and so become free from suffering. Try to set this motivation, for we are taught that if you set a pure motivation for enlightenment or liberation, the power of that motivation will last until enlightenment. Thank you. Now concentrate onto your breath and letting everything, your thoughts, sounds, emotions, everything, just float on by without getting involved in it. If your mind does stray, just gently bring it back and concentrate again.
Now focus on your consciousness, its spaciousness and quality of knowing what is going on. Try to stay very aware, and if the mind wanders off, immediately bring it back. Make your main concern mindfulness and awareness, that is keeping the mind on that spaciousness with mindfulness and using awareness to know when the mind has wandered off and bring it back. The sooner you can notice the mind moving, the better. Try to keep your consciousness bright and vivid, not letting the mind get dull or lose its intensity.
Okay, now please come out of meditation. Of course, if you already have an ongoing practice, you'll know quite well the tricks that the mind gets up to. But even the small meditation practice we've just done will probably show you that your mind doesn't sit still for more than a few seconds. I'm now talking to people whose meditation practice is still in the first of the nine stages we mentioned last time. Those who've done extensive practice will no doubt have found their mind settled into a kind of meditative equipoise quite readily. Talking about the nine stages, let's just briefly go through them again, both to remind those who were with us last week and for those new to the program. Those nine stages describe how we progress from the usual monkey mind to the mind just before we finally get calm abiding. As I indicated, in the first stage we withdraw the mind inwards and concentrate on the object of meditation. It doesn't stay for very long, and it's a battle to keep it on the, on the object. When we can do that for a moment, we have accomplished the first state, called placing the mind. In the second stage, the mind alternates between staying on the object and distraction, with more distraction than concentration. Only when we can hide, hold the object for two to five minutes will we graduate from this stage, which is known as placement with continuity. The third stage is called patch-like placement because we quickly realize we are distracted and automatically bring the mind back to the object, like patching up a concentration lapse. The fourth stage is called close placement and here our mindfulness is now so strong that we can keep the mind on the object with some effort. Gross laxity and excitement are still problems though. The fifth stage is called controlling because we are taking control of laxity and excitement, and especially subtle laxity. Gross dullness and excitement are completely overcome in this stage. The sixth stage is pacifying, because trying to get rid of subtle laxity in the previous stage, we invigorated the mind, so now it's more prone to subtle excitement, and that is what we have to pacify. However, we don't need to worry about subtle laxity because it will no longer arise and even subtle excitement becomes less of a problem. By the seventh stage, our mindfulness and awareness is so strong that we can immediately put effort into stopping laxity and excitement. This is called complete pacification. But in the eighth stage, single-pointed concentration, we can concentrate on the object without laxity or excitement arising at all. Apart from a little mindfulness and awareness at the beginning, we have no trouble in focusing on the object for as long as we like. The ninth stage is placement with equanimity, and here we can concentrate for as long as we like completely effortlessly. That is, up to just before calm abiding. If we reach this stage, but die before getting calm abiding, we will very easily get calm abiding in our next life. Even if we don't come into contact with the Dharma in that life, Just seeing something that reminds us of the object of concentration will put us into a deep concentration, leading to attaining calm abiding. While developing these nine stages, we use what is called the six powers to develop our concentration. The first is the power of hearing, which means that at the beginning we have to hear the instructions on how to develop calm abiding. Paying close attention to those instructions, usually from a realized master, we'll be able to attain placing the mind, the first of the nine stages. Then we need the power of thinking to direct the mind back to the object again and again, 
thinking about the characteristics and aspects of the object as well as the process of improving our concentration. With this power, we attain the second stage, placement with continuity. We need the power of mindfulness to return to the object again and again. This is stronger than the previous two powers and leads to the third and fourth stages, patch-like placement and close placement. The power of awareness notices when laxity and excitement are present so we can apply the antidotes, and this power leads to controlling and pacifying, the fifth and sixth stages. We use the power of joy's effort to overcome subtle laxity and excitement and hold the object continuously for an entire meditation session. With this, we attain the seventh and eighth stage, and with the power of complete familiarity, we reach the ninth stage. Those six powers are again the powers of hearing, thinking, mindfulness, awareness, joyous effort, and complete familiarity. Then we can also talk about four attentions. Attention here being a, men- being a mental factor that steers the mind to an object and holds it single-pointedly there. At first we need forcible attention, a strong forceful engagement with the object of concentration and a determined effort to keep the mind on the object. In interrupted attention, the mind holds the object while recovering from and overcoming the interruptions of laxity and excitement. Then, when with uninterrupted attention, the mind can stay on the object with some continuity. This is the attention used to attain the eighth stage. And when we get to effortless attention, we don't even need the slightest effort to keep the mind on the object for as long as we like. We don't need to know about the six powers and four attentions to get calm abiding. If we just concentrate well on the object, it will come in due course. But knowing these things might help in understanding what is actually going on. So now, we've meditated for a long time and gone through the nine stages. How do we know when we get to calm abiding? You will know because calm abiding is a bliss that comes from a complete pliancy of body and mind, after you have meditated again and again with a single-pointed concentration of the ninth stage. We get some mental pliancy from getting to the ninth stage, but as we continue meditating, this increases until we reach a complete mental pliancy which rids us of all mental rigidity. So the mind no longer feels heavy or unable to concentrate on virtuous activities. The mental pliancy also calms and dissipates the energies that cause discomfort in the body, and so we start to feel a physical well-being also. Our body will become light, healthy and tireless, and we'll be able to use it easily for whatever we want. Based on this, we experience a physical bliss which has aspects of pleasant smoothness, flexibility and lightness. If we carry on meditating, we will get to a stage where the mind becomes so blissful that the body seems to dissolve into the object of concentration and nothing else appears to it. At this stage, the bliss is so strong that the mind loses some of its ability to stay on the object. But when this bliss stabilizes, we will gain an immovable pliancy with which the mind can stay perfectly on the object of concentration. This is calm abiding, and the mind is so clear that it is as if we could count the atoms in the wall. When we get up from the meditation cushion, it's as though we suddenly have gained a body again. From now on, sleep and concentration become one, and we might see many pure appearances. 
delusions are weak and easily overcome and our mind will be as stable as a mountain. A good sign of having attained calm abiding is when you come into contact with the things that normally disturb ordinary people, like objects of attachment, anger or ignorance. Your mind will stay perfectly tranquil and you won't be affected by them at all. With calm abiding, we will also easily be able to develop powers like clairvoyance. Being able to read their thoughts will be in a much better position to help others. This is one of the greatest benefits of calm abiding. Obviously, this is a wonderful state to be in. But for a Buddhist, this is not the end of the road. As I have said before, calm abiding does not take us out of cyclic existence. Although I understand that some yogis, on attaining it, do think they are now liberated. But the afflictive emotions have not yet been eradicated and are now only in a dormant state. Although we can stay in calm abiding and related states for a very long time, eventually it will give way and we will once more start cycling through the sufferings of cyclic existence. For a Buddhist, the purpose of calm abiding is to use it to continue meditating to attain special insight which is a particular bliss of analysis that allows us to penetrate deep into the nature of reality until we eventually experience it directly. And then we will be completely free of all our suffering, for then we will no longer generate afflictive emotions or create new karma. We will still be at the mercy of old karmas, but without afflictive emotions, they will no longer have the power to cause us suffering. So, as temp tempting as it may be to stay in the bliss of calm abiding, we have to continue our meditation practice, which has now attained the perfection of concentration and is entering into the practice of the perfection of wisdom, the last of the six perfections. Geshe Loden, in his book Path to Enlightenment in Tibetan Buddhism, says that whereas the practice of calm abiding generates the bliss of pliancy in relation to single-pointedness, Special insight generates a bliss of pliancy in relation to analysis. And the main function of special insight is to remove all faults and delusions. This is done by applying special insight to analyzing the nature of reality. Of course, we can use special insight to penetrate the truth of any object of knowledge, but its particular power comes from being able to reveal how reality actually exists. We normally grasp at things and people having some kind of inherent independent existence and so develop all the afflictive emotions and karma in relation to them. With special insight, we can really look deeply into their nature. We will then see that our previous way of seeing was a mistake and that nothing has such an inherent and independent existence. Things are what we call empty of existing in that way. When Buddhists in the Mahayana traditions talk about emptiness or the void, people who are not familiar with the teachings think we are talking about nothingness. But that's not what we mean at all. Emptiness means lack of inherent independent existence. All things depend on other things and nothing is independent. That is what we really mean, and the word emptiness is inextricably tied to the concept of dependent arising. Dependent arising means that things depend on other things for their existence. Nothing stands by itself. This is the cornerstone of Buddha's teachings, and this is what we ultimately mean by wisdom. 
It is this experiential realization that finally puts paid to all our afflictive emotions and suffering, and this is what we realize when we apply a calm abiding and special insight to investigate the nature of reality. Nothing else in all the Buddha's vast teachings has the power to completely free us. Wisdom is the bomb that atomizes all our negativities and sufferings, and it is the focal point of all the various Buddhist traditions in the world. Not renunciation, nor compassion, nor bodhicitta has the power of liberation that wisdom has. So this is the crux of all Buddha's teachings. It's not good enough just to take vows and precepts, live a good life, make donations to a temple and give dana to monks. All that helps, but if we don't develop our mind with meditation so that we can eventually focus on the nature of reality with calm abiding and special insight, we will just be creating more causes to stay in cyclic existence. That is how calm abiding and special insight are. So now, in the last couple of minutes, let's concentrate again on the mind and try to develop calm abiding. Sit comfortably and watch your mind. Please come out of meditation. Now we've run out of time. Thank you for being with us today and I hope you'll tune in again next week at the same time. May all your wishes for enlightenment be quickly fulfilled. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.